Welcome to the Dark Wales Tours podcast. On this podcast, we will explore the vast history of Wales, looking at the myths, legends and ghosts of this magical and mystical country. Wales has been the heart of Britain's supernatural beliefs for many centuries. And on this episode, we will be looking at the long history of something that has troubled and tormented people of not just Wales, but the entire world for centuries. It is something that has been feared yet sought after. It has been the cause of countless deaths and the mere accusation could be enough to destroy your reputation. Women, men, old, young, commoners and royals, nobody was safe. The belief and fear that there are those among us who can control the elements, cause misfortune and even fly has led to the deaths of millions of people throughout the centuries. The name for these people that has gone down in history is the witch. When we speak of witches and witchcraft, popular culture conjures up images in our minds of old women on broomsticks, wearing pointy hats and retreating to their lair to stir their cauldrons. None encapsulates this image more than the Wicked Witch of the West from the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz. In this episode, we will investigate the witches of Welsh history and folklore. From the famous Llandona witches to the terrifying legendary monster, the Grach a Ribbon. We will also look at how the witch became a worldwide phenomenon, with many using the label to persecute and murder millions of innocents in the quest for power and world dominance. The belief in witchcraft has been a universal one for many centuries. The acceptance that there are those among us who can call upon the supernatural and influence the natural world around us. This belief not only provided a means for people, many of them elderly women, to persuade those around them to help them in their time of need through the fear of cursing. It also enabled the authorities to purge society of the less fortunate and gave them a way to control the rest of the population. The fear of the witch kept people in line. It also kept people suspicious of any outsider which could be a useful tool for the outsider who found themselves in a strange place with no other means to support themselves. This was the case of the Llandona witches, a group of men and women who washed ashore in the small seaside village in Anglesey. The locals did not know from whence they came, but they were all said to have had strong Irish accents. The locals were weary of these newcomers, not knowing who they were or what they were capable of. They were reluctant to allow them to stay in the village. An agreement was eventually reached with the village elders. The strangers would be permitted to build a settlement and live along the beach, just outside of the village itself. It soon became clear, however, that there was something not quite right about the strangers. The men were expert smugglers and thieves, and there was something off about the women. The women would spend their days going through the village begging from door to door. 
Those that refused to give the women food or money would suffer misfortune, pain, and sometimes even death. The women, it was said, would return to their camp to carry out mysterious rituals, or sometimes they would recite their curses out loud to the victim, for the strangers claimed to be witches. There are several stories that demonstrated the witches' alleged powers. One such story tells of when one of the ladies took her daughter to the market. There she saw a prized pig. She knew that the pig would be able to feed the cavern for weeks, and so she put a bid on the pig. Most of the villagers knew not to try to outbid the witches, lest they be cursed. So the witch assumed she would be able to get the pig at a low price. However, one rich man did indeed bid against the witch, much to the surprise of the rest of the village. As the bidding continued, the daughter of the witch decided to try to stop the foolish man. So she snuck up behind him and gave him an almighty push. The man turned around and upon seeing it was the witch's daughter, he knocked the girl to the ground. The witch, seeing what had happened, rushed to help her daughter. This enabled the rich man to double his bid and win the pig. The witch and her daughter glared at the man, pointing her finger at him, the witch said in a loud voice that the hand that struck her daughter would wither and become lame. The man whose hand it was would then suffer when the weather became cold. She also added for an extra punishment that because she was prevented from having the pig, that the pig would not survive the winter either. Sure enough, when winter came, the pig refused to eat. It became thin, it became weak, and eventually it did indeed die. The man's hand that had pushed the girl slowly began to become weak and painfully withered and hung lifelessly by the man's side. The man had learned his lesson, and never again did he bid against the witches. There was another tale of a different man who once offended the witches. His crimes against them are unknown, but he must have done something far worse than merely bidding against them, because his punishment was far more extreme. The Llandona witches gathered at midnight to call the dark spirits in order to curse the man. It was said the next time he crossed over a stile or a fence, he would fall, break his neck, and die. There is a story that when one of the witches was out begging, she went to a nearby farm and asked the farmer's wife for some milk in order to feed her baby. The farmer's wife refused, as she recognised and feared the witch. In response, the witch left the farm, and on her way out, she cursed the cows, so they would stand like begging dogs, and nothing would be able to move them from that position. When the farmer returned home, he was shocked to see the whole herd of his cows standing on their hind legs, looking like begging dogs. He tried to get them back to normal, but nothing he did was able to release them from the witch's spell. It was also said that the witches could summon the fires of hell on command. One day, two sisters from the coven, who were known in the village as the Devil Sisters, went to a farm to ask for some food. The farmer refused to help, and as extra protection against them, he set his dogs upon the sisters. 
the Devil sisters started to laugh. They simply turned and walked away. As they passed the barn, it suddenly erupted into flames, and the farmer was unable to extinguish the fire, so the barn burned to the ground. The witches also added a further punishment. The dogs that were set upon them suddenly staggered, whimpered, and dropped dead on the spot. These may seem like fantastical tales to us in the 21st century, but to the people of Llandonna, all of these accounts confirmed their fears that a coven of witches had set up home amongst them and were cursing them and disrupting their quiet village life. The witches lived in the area for many generations and as far as it is known the last Clandona witch died sometime in the last century. This finally ended the years of fear, bullying and extortion these strangers brought to this small quiet village. In what year the witches arrived is unknown. Some believe it was in the 17th century during the witch mania that swept across Europe. This theory says that the coven was fleeing these witch trials and they were then shipwrecked off the coast of Anglesey where they decided to set up home in the small village and that is where they stayed. The idea that a coven of witches could be a family that passes down ancient knowledge of magic throughout the generations is nothing new. In Greek mythology, the goddess of witchcraft, Hecate, passed her magical knowledge to her daughter Circe, who appears in the Odyssey as a powerful sorceress who turns Odysseus's men into pigs. Before Christianity, and even in the first couple of hundred years of the church, Witches were perceived as traditional figures, remnants of a time gone by. There were actually very few witches put to death in these early years, and those that were had been tried in civil courts opposed to state courts. All of this changed with the publication of the Malice Maleficarum in 1486. This book was written by Henrik Kramer, a German Catholic clergyman who it appears had a very deep hatred of women. With the Pope's backing, Kramer issued his new theology saying that witches were primarily women. This he said was due to the fact that witches made a pact with the devil for their supernatural powers. This pact was then sealed by sexual activities, which Kramer said very few men would actually consent to as the devil was always perceived as being male. He outlines that the type of women that are susceptible to this pact are midwives and older women. There seems to be a very practical and sinister reason behind this accusation. Midwifery at the time was mainly practiced by learned women and older women were seen as knowledgeable due to their advanced age. Kramer saw a chance for the church to gain more power and influence over the everyday lives of general people. So by calling these women witches and blaming them for the world's ills, he was able to get rid of them and allow the church to take over their place in society. The church officially distanced themselves from the Malus Maleficarum three years after it was published. But it was all too late. 
For centuries, authorities used this as a reason to condemn any free-thinking woman to death. It was used by the self-proclaimed Witchfinder General of Britain, Matthew Hopkins. In the 14 months he was active, it is believed he was responsible for the deaths of about 400 witches, most of them women, though the exact number is unknown for sure and could indeed be much higher. Hopkins was a failed lawyer, but was able to exploit the fear of witchcraft in order to gain fame, glory and respect across the country. The main reason the Malis Maleficarum was so successful in its purpose is because it invokes the Bible passage in Exodus 22.18 Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. The Bible does not give a definition of what a witch is and so Kramer used this ambiguity to fulfil his misogynistic goal. The witch craze that followed swept through Europe entered Britain and famously even crossed the Atlantic to America with the infamous Salem Witch Trials which is encapsulated perfectly in the Arthur Miller play The Crucible. The women caught up in this craze, much like witches that we have seen in Wales, were social outcasts that were both feared and ostracised but the witches in Wales avoided the tragic fate of many of their European counterparts for only five witches were executed by the courts in Wales between the 16th and 17th centuries. The first witch to be executed in Wales was Gwen Ellis from Betos. She was convicted of murder by witchcraft. Originally Gwen was a healer who used her herbal knowledge to help the people of her village. One day one of her patients persuaded Gwen to sneak into a neighbour's house and to leave a charm hidden somewhere in the house. Gwen, whether believing in the magic or not, did as she was instructed. A few days later, the neighbour died under mysterious circumstances. Upon learning about the charm, the courts claimed this was enough evidence to sentence poor Gwen Ellis to death. She was hung in Denby in 1594, an area that has had its own fair share of paranormal activity which is discussed in a separate episode. Even after this sentence was passed and carried out, the belief and practice of witchcraft continued in Wales. The Welsh, being very superstitious, engaged in what could be described by some as witchcraft and magic. There were many places that were considered sacred and mystical. Most common of all were wells. There is a well in Llanolian and Rus, North Wales, where it was said that if you wrote the name of your enemy on a piece of paper, tied it to a stone and threw it into the well, then that person would be cursed. The curse would last until the stone was removed from the well or the person died. This superstition led to some people making a bit of money. They would actually charge people who had said to have been cursed in order to remove the stones for them, thus breaking the curse. The authorities tried to suppress this and twice they jailed the warden of the well for fraudulent actions regarding charging to remove curses of people. 
even as recent as 1964, there were stories of witches living here in Wales. These witches were said to practice white magic, making charms to protect the locals of the Pembroke area. There is, however, a terrifying Welsh legend that persists to this very day. The legend tells of a hideous creature that flies around gathering souls to take back with her to hell. This is the horrifying Grach Aribon. This creature is said to have large red eyes, fang-like teeth, greenish coloured skin and a pair of leathery bat-like wings. There have been many sightings of this monster throughout Welsh history. It is even said to be a Gracharibon living in a cave in the moat of Caffili Castle. Even today, people walking around the castle or passing it at night report seeing a strange creature rising out of the moat and flying off into the distance. Gracharibon actually has several English translations. Hag of the Mist, Hag of the Tattered Vestments and also the Death Witch. There is a story from 1574 in Llandaff, just outside of Cardiff. A local man, Sean Gruffith, who was an elderly and sickly man, was laying in bed late one night, drifting off to sleep. Suddenly, he heard a scratching at the window. He looked up and he could vaguely make out a shape, and he saw a pair of blazing red eyes. He knew then, right away, it was the Gracha Ribbon come for his soul. As he stared, he saw the creature and heard the monster hissing as it emerged from the darkness, inching closer and closer towards him. Shun, however, he was not scared. He had had a full life as he was in his nineties, an almost unheard of age at that time. So he was ready to accept his fate. He closed his eyes, opened his arms, ready to embrace the creature and to be taken. After a few moments, Shun realised nothing had happened. He opened his eyes just in time to see the creature flap her wings and fly out of the window. Shun rushed as fast as he could to the window and saw the creature enter the inn down the street. The next morning, Shun was full of life. He had not felt this good for years. He assumed the visit by the Gracharibban had been a strange dream, so he decided he would go and celebrate at the inn. Upon arriving at the inn, he found it closed. He started to make his inquiries and found out that the innkeeper, an otherwise young, fit, healthy young man called Thomas, had died unexpectedly during the night. Shun could not believe it. Could it be his dream was not a dream after all. Could it be he had indeed been visited by the Gracharibban, and his acceptance of his fate had repulsed her? The evil monster had then flown down the road to find a soul that had not been ready and claimed it for herself. It is actually said that the Gracharibban was to feed on fear and terror, so the bravery of Shun saved his life, and indeed his soul. Not good news, however, for Thomas, who was not ready to accept his fate and was claimed by the creature. This creature shows 
how the Welsh had an extremely broad mind when it came to define what a witch was. In Welsh folklore, there is often not a clear distinction between witches, fairies and other monsters that are said to roam this land. The Welsh did not seem surprised with the thought that there might be witches living amongst them, because they were so used to the idea already that they were surrounded by supernatural creatures such as fairies, goblins and imps. It seems the courts in Wales were also more concerned with the problem of theft and other crimes rather than following Europe into chasing down and executing supposed witches. With only five witches in Wales being put to death between the years of 1594 and 1655, it shows that the Welsh largely rejected the witch mania that swept through Europe and would later arrive in America with deadly results. But even though the Welsh did not put their witches to death, it does not necessarily mean that they did not believe that there were women and men in the community that had supernatural powers. The Celtic traditions that seem to identify the witch to most foreign authorities were widespread and alive in Wales, with the ordinary people practicing these customs and traditions. It is also worth noting that the stereotypical outfit of the witch, with the black hat and black shawl, looks remarkably like the traditional Welsh dress. So what is your opinion on witchcraft in Wales? Are there really witches in our midst, or just on our bookshelves and on our TVs? Do these mysterious characters still live amongst us, influencing the elements and all manner of other things around us? Could the unfortunate events that afflict us in life be sheer coincidences, or bad luck, or could there be more to it? The concept and possibility that another person could directly affect our lives through supernatural means should make us weary not to upset or run afoul of the wrong person. The consequences may be devastating. If you have your own story to share on this or any of the other topics in our podcasts, then please email us on darkwales at hotmail.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dark Wales Tours podcast. Please be sure to visit us on www.darkwalestours.co.uk and also check out our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter feeds for news of our tours that we conduct in various locations around Wales and also for news of more episodes of this podcast. Until next time, Diolchen Vaur. Thank you very much. The Dark Wales Tours podcast is produced and delivered by Matthew Rose and Luke Alcock, owners of Dark Wales Tours.